Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. My name is Cosmos Dar, and this is Extraordinary America. What is Extraordinary America? Well, you see, America has always been about freedom, opportunity, and the pursuit of happiness. However, most Americans are not free when it comes to the financial front. Most Americans are suffering from financial slavery due to loss of jobs, stagnant wages, inflation, and debt. Wealth and income inequality is the norm now, and the middle class has all but disappeared. So Extraordinary America is about the abolition of financial slavery. It is about the financial freedom of the 99%. It is about the nation of immigrants and the descendant of immigrants restoring the extraordinary within themselves and setting themselves free. The path to financial freedom is through financialist education. It is through becoming entrepreneurs and investors on the light side. In this podcast, I interview fellow Americans who fought against the odds. Many of them came from humble beginnings to see how they did it. It is my hope through these interviews that the extraordinary within you shall awaken and that you will abolish financial slavery from your life and realize the American dream. Once again, welcome to Extraordinary America. Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. Welcome back to the show. Today's guest, we have Travis Johnson. Travis is a really successful podcaster. He has a show called the Nonprofit Architect Podcast. It's one of the most successful podcasts, not only in this nation, but across the world. It is actually the top 10 in seven countries. He actually came from humble beginnings. He had a rough childhood. And uh, from, from there onwards, he somehow succeeded against the odds. And he's the perfect person for this show. Travis, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Cosmos. Thanks for having me show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to have you over here. Um, I know, Travis, so I know that you are a retired Navy officer, an entrepreneur, and one of the greatest podcasters out there in the nation. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, uh, your background, and how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely, man. It it was rough beginnings, like you mentioned. It was 36 moves, 12 schools, six states, five foster homes, survived two murder attempts, have a mother with bipolar disorder, and all of that occurred before I graduated high school at 17. It was not easy to get through. Man, that's uh, that's 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 intense, and uh, man, that's crazy. Like, what what made you get through all of that? Like, what was it that what was it that motivated you or drove you to basically get out of that and just like start succeeding, whether it was like in your military or whether it was in podcasting? Well, you know, there was always someone that was willing to help us out along the way. You know, it was family members, it was foster parents, it was nonprofit organizations that helped keep us sheltered, clothed, and fed. And if it wasn't for their goodwill, I don't know where I would be. But every one of those people gave me a little bit of hope, a little bit of encouragement. Sometimes it was negative encouragement, right? Get that fuel to my fire. Oh, you can't do this? Oh, really? Watch me. See what happens. But some of the major things I did up front was I had to make sure I was in the right environment to succeed. I didn't have a good GPA. I was in a small town. Everyone knew our family name, all of our problems. You know, everyone in the, the court system and the police department, they all knew who I was and who my mom was and who my family was. And I needed to find a place where I could succeed on my own. For me, that place was the Navy. I was able to get in. They didn't care about my background. They didn't care about my family name. They didn't care about what had happened to me. As long as I was willing to do what was needed, I could build my own life so I could build my own foundation. So between finding Jesus, joining the Navy, and marrying my wife, those three things really helped propel me and allow me to build what I wanted to build without any interference from all the stuff in my past. Now, there was a lot of stuff I had to deal with, right? There was a lot of counseling I had to go through, a lot of people I had to talk to. I had to figure life out. I didn't have uh, a lot of good examples. I had a lot of negative examples. Told me a lot about what not to do. And through asking questions and being curious and exploring, I was able to learn a few things and do a few things and eventually create the lifestyle that I wanted to live. That's that's really amazing. Um, I'm actually curious about what was your overall arching goal and vision regarding like your, like your career after you've gone through all of these things, like how did, how did, how did your vision mold over the years? Well, it, it, it changes over time, right? I really wanted to get into a, an industry that allowed me to have some vertical momentum, right? It had some, some room for me to grow. I could have gotten any job. I could have, you know, gone to school. I could have done a bunch of different things, but 
I didn't feel like I had the resources as a foundation. I needed to get myself right first and join the military. They set your goals for you. You got to do this by tomorrow. You got to do this by the end of the week. And you start doing those things and it builds your confidence. It reinforces your self-image. It gets you to that place where you're able to then make your own choices, gets you out of that survival mode, out of that scarcity mindset and shows you that there's a way that you can succeed beyond, beyond what you've known. And the military has been great for that. It's been doing that for young men and women for a long time now. And it really helps build a culture of what you need when you know that there's someone that's going to be there for you, hold you accountable, accountable, accountability is the number one thing people need in their life. If you can't do self-accountability, you've got to have other people help hold you accountable to your stuff, make sure you're behaving right, making sure that you are where you need to be, make sure you're doing the right things. And that really allowed me to learn how to function within a system. It have all these qualifications you have to get to work on airplanes and you get them over time. You have to do these things. You hear in the squad and other people getting yelled at for not having qualifications. You're like, well, I don't want to get yelled at. So then you do the stuff you've got to do to get qualified. And you're like, wow, man, this guy's, this guy's on it, man. He's getting all this stuff done. Cause in my mind, I didn't want to be on, you know, the, the shit list or in trouble or any of that stuff. And I didn't do it because I was really excited to do it. I did it to avoid pain. I did it to avoid getting yelled at. And once I started getting those things and getting those things done, uh, you know, you, you get more and more qualified. And then when you're qualified, they want you to do the things you got qualified to do. Well, if you're the only one qualified, you're the guy staying late. You're the guy getting called in to do things. And I'm like, well, this sucks. So it's like, all oh, you all need to get qualified too. you know, hold their feet to the fire, get them moving, get them motivated, get them signed off. So you can share the load, right? If you're eating a big shit sandwich by yourself, every bite sucks, right? No, but, totally if, but if you've got these other six people doing it with you, then you've got to eat a lot less. And it makes it a lot easier to get things done. And the more qualified everyone is, the more everyone's on the same page, the more everything gets done, the more things move along. And as that started happening, it builds the confidence within you. Every small step that you take lets you know that you're capable of so much more. And then that leads into getting promotions and getting qualified. I got married fairly young. I got married at 19. Uh, not a lot of people do that anymore. And a lot of people are like, why would you get married so young? I'm like, in your small town, like you don't know there's options. You don't know that you can wait. You don't know what's available to you. And uh, fortunately for me, I picked the right one at the right time. And anytime something came up for my career, I always asked her, I was like, what do you want? She's like, well, whatever's best for your career. So I had that support system at home. I had the support at work, people that were willing to lead and mentor and develop me. And as that builds, your, your, where you're shooting at your target gets higher and higher and higher. And every time I got promoted, I was like, I was happy for like two days. Like, yeah, finally I'm at this new level and you get there. And like a week later, like, man, this sucks. I want the next one. How do I get to the next one? You figure out what the next one entails and you start doing that stuff. You get there and you're like, man, this is great for about two days. And you're like, then this one sucks too. How about the next one? And you keep working your way up more and more and more and more. And eventually you get going somewhere, the momentum that you build, the habits that you build, the things that you're doing, then start generating their own path forward on your behalf. And before you know it, you're along for the ride, just enjoying the heck out of it. It took me from trailer parks and foster homes, led to college, led to flight school, let me get my wings so I could fly for the Navy. And that led to the next thing. And that led to the master's degree. And that led to something else, every little step and every little thing you do and accomplish, every person you meet along the way leads to that next bigger thing. No, totally. Yeah. Um, so how long were you in the Navy for? And then from there on, how long were you in the podcasting industry for? So I'm still in the podcasting industry. I just retired from the Navy after 22 years of service. I actually started my show while I was still active duty deployed in the Middle East I needed something wow. positive for myself to do because they were paying me lots of money. My family wasn't there. And I know me, if I'm not working on something positive, not working on learning, if I'm not learning on delivering something, then uh, I'm going to find myself in, in trouble. So I've been doing the podcast for a couple of years, but I've only been retired for about five months. So, so when it comes to like podcasting, what is the biggest lesson you've learned while you have been doing podcasting? The biggest lesson? Oh my God, there's so many lessons. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, I don't know about the biggest one, but well, the most important one. The most important one is whatever you decide to talk about, whatever your show is about, you're going to put that in your description. Your description is up to 4,000 characters. Fill that thing up. That's how people are going to find you that don't know you. Some people put like two or three sentences. That's not enough. That's great for people to read. But when they're searching and the search bots go out to find the answer to their question, they're not searching for three sentences. They want to search that whole thing. That thing is searchable. If you're not filling that out of the way, you're preventing other people from finding you. But whatever you say in that description, that's your promise. That's your covenant that you're making with your audience of what you're going to deliver. Like your show is Extraordinary America, mm -hmm. right? If you start talking to people that are ordinary and live in Guatemala, you're not delivering, <laughs> right? You're not delivering on the promise of what your title is. I assume that you wouldn't be delivering on your description. If you say, I'm going to talk about extraordinary Americans, people that have came here, figured out what their dream was, started living their dream, and now they've hit it big and they're in America and I'm going to deliver this show every week. That's what you deliver. If you don't deliver that, you're not delivering in the promise that you've made to the audience. And what happens is, well, oh, he missed a week. Oh, he missed two weeks. Well, he must not believe in what he's preaching or he must not do what he's saying he does or something must have happened, right? When you deliver on what it is that you promise, your show naturally builds. You naturally attract the people that are supposed to be listening. You naturally attract the guests you're supposed to be having. So the first real lesson that any podcaster learns is they have to deliver on what they said they were going to do. No, totally. So like when you were when on your way to becoming one of the most successful podcasts out there with this nonprofit architect podcast, what was the biggest challenge you had to face in your field? Really, it was it was me, that guy in the mirror, right? I, I knew I I knew I knew some stuff about nonprofit work, but I knew I didn't know everything. And then I went out and I looked through all the top nonprofit podcasts and I was like, what are they missing? What what are these about? What are these shows about? What what are they, what are they doing? And I found that they were really kind of just showcasing some nonprofits. Hey, this thing is out there, blah, blah, blah. It got some airtime for that nonprofit, but it didn't really have a lot of value to the casual listener. Um, and I listened to some other shows and they were just talking about kind of industry trends, which is great. No one was teaching the nonprofit world how to do it. So my goal was to bring on guests that were making their living doing something well and they will have to be willing to share what it is they're doing in order to get on the show. Right. So I'd have nonprofit leaders, business leaders, consultants, people with the special skills to help nonprofits do it better. And some things that I learned along the way are you have to account for weeks that you're not available. I didn't do that right away. I didn't know that that was a thing. Right. So I had a bunch of shows built up. My family was coming to visit me uh, in Bahrain for Christmas, and I ran out of pre-recorded episodes. In the industry, they call it having episodes in the can. So I had built up a nice little following, hit number four in the U.S. within three months of starting. And then three weeks later, I didn't have anything pre-recorded. So the show was not, oh, I didn't have God. anything new coming out, right? So right up front within the first five months, I broke the covenant with my audience saying I had a weekly show and I wasn't prepared for a weekly show. So I learned quickly that, hey, you have got to have many weeks in advance saved up in case you want to take a vacation. You get sick. You get tired. Something happens. You go in a coma. So now I keep myself two or three months ahead of schedule. So I know that if last-minute business trip comes up, whatever happens, someone in the family dies, we have to go home for a funeral. My show is going to keep producing and being released each and every week. So that was one of the first big lessons I learned. The second big lesson I learned is you have got to have yourself a checklist. I remember getting, I was, I was in the Middle East and I was recording mostly with people in America at the time. So it was either very early in the morning for me or very late, late at night for me to get times where people could actually schedule with me. And I had a couple of weeks went by, I wasn't able to find a guest. Uh, and eventually I found one. I was so excited. I got them on. We did our interview and I hit to close down Zoom. And those of you that know how Zoom works, when you're recording something, you hit end, a little pop-up comes up and it says it's processing what you're doing and processing the video, processing the recording. I, well, I, I hit end. Yeah. yeah, I hit end 
and there was no pop-up. I had forgotten to hit the record button. And anytime you make a mistake, oh, yeah, 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 it happens, right? Anytime you make a mistake like that, you've earned yourself the right to generate a checklist for yourself so you don't forget. So that interview was completely gone then. Completely lost. I went back out to the guest. I said, I don't know what happened. I don't think I hit the record button. Would you be willing to record again? And she was like, oh, of course, I would love to. Uh, let me grab another time and we'll reschedule and we'll do it again. We, we eventually did the show again. Um, but you're going to make mistakes, right? You're, you've got a new show here. Chances are, I haven't listened to your show. I don't know this. But just based on general knowledge, you're probably not very good right now. And I know that because I wasn't very good when I started. And everyone I've ever talked to was not any good when they started. It takes like 20 to 25 shows to really figure out who you are, the message you're trying to deliver, kind of what your voice is as a podcaster. And so the next big mistake that people make is they stop before they ever hit any kind of stride, before they ever get any kind of good at what they're doing because they don't like it. They're not sure of the feedback. They're not getting downloads or whatever. Here's the deal. If you don't already have some major following, you're probably not going to get a lot of downloads especially early. That's just how it works. No one knows who the heck you are. You know this and I know this. You're stuck in obscurity. No one knows who you are or why they should listen to you. So making sure that you get out, you do what you need to do, you deliver on your promise, <laughs> you hit record, build yourself a little checklist. I have uh, command hooks on the back of my laptop screen that I put a little card that says, smile, hit record, and then drew a big arrow to the camera. It says, look here, right? Instead of looking all over, all right, the, the first couple of lessons that everyone learns and then don't give up. If you are doing this for a reason, you have to keep doing it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, because this oh, is definitely. a long-term game. This is a long-term game. Definitely doing it for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Travis, they say that success is uh, a state of mind and that it is a process and not an event. Right. However, a lot of successful people can pinpoint a certain day or time where a mental shift happened. And then from that point on, they started succeeding in their life. What is that moment for you? There's a few moments for me, uh, you know, early on, early on in life, there wasn't a whole lot of people that I could depend on. There was some, but there wasn't a lot. And I was able to really keep my mindset and, and stay relatively objective uh, through most of my childhood, which is not, which is not normal. I've come to understand usually in childhood, whatever's coming at you, that's just it. You know, you're not sure how to dissociate or, or how to look objectively at a situation because you just don't know how that works. Somehow I was able to remain objective through a lot of my childhood. And even though it was horrendous, I knew that a lot of it had nothing to do with me, which was great. My next big shift I already mentioned was, was finding Jesus, finding my wife and joining the Navy. But it wasn't until about seven years later that the next major shift happened. Uh, I had had a little bit of success in the Navy and I was still a young man in my, my mid twenties. I don't know if anyone listening to this knows young men in their mid twenties or earlier mid twenties or is that person. But a lot of times, especially in my case, I ran my mouth. I had, I knew a couple of things. I did some good, but I was cocky. I was arrogant. I was a smart ass. I'd run my mouth. I pretty much whatever chance I get, uh, you and I both know someone in their mid twenties right now that does that. I'm not going to name names because it's his birthday today. But, <laughs> but, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Uh, inside joke for us, but I had to get to a place where I found out that really, I thought I was being funny and that's not how it was being received. It was just being received that I was a jackass. My finances were a mess. And quite frankly, the people I was hanging around with uh, weren't doing me any favors, right? They weren't being real friends. They weren't holding me accountable. They weren't pushing me to be better and all this stuff. So my next big shift is when I, I found Dave Ramsey and, and found out how to figure out my financial mess like if you're in a mess, he's a great place to start. If you're not in a mess, he's probably not the right person for you. But in a mess, he's a great place, a great way to build a foundation for your finances. So we started getting our finances under control. I stopped running my mouth. I didn't know the right things to say. So really, I just stopped talking unless I could add real value. 
And then I changed the people who I was hanging around with, which was the biggest, biggest shift. I remember exactly when I, and it happened. I said, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better uh, husband and a better father. I want to be a better sailor. I want to pursue career goals and education. So I found people that were taking care of family, focused on their career, gaining that education that they needed. And as soon as I decided to do that, really truly decided not, oh, that's a good idea. I should do that. Should's a bad word. Once I actually decided this is what I'm doing and this is for me, everything changed. People thought they stopped thinking I was a jackass. They started to be like, you know what? He's really doing some good stuff. I was always doing the good stuff, but I let my mouth get in the way. <laughs> right. I let, I was letting my mouth get in the way. As soon as I stopped running my mouth, I started getting awards because I wasn't blocking them. I wasn't giving them a reason to not do it. I was always giving a reason to do it, but I gave them plenty of reasons to not do it as well. So I took away the reasons to not do it and I got promoted and I won some awards and I got selected for an officer program where they sent me to the university of Oklahoma full-time and then to flight school, which was fabulous. That's awesome. The next biggest shift, I got one more for you. The next biggest shift, really, I was in Bahrain and I really learned about community and business and podcasting. That was my last major shift. I started changing not just my inner circle, but my outer circle. People I was willing to spend not only my quality time with, but roughly any time with. I really started building and cultivating and mentoring the people within my circle. I started focusing on business. I read 60 books a year really listen to audiobooks, 60 books a year, anytime I was commuting, working out, shopping, doing chores around the house, there was always someone teaching me all the things that I didn't know. And then when I got into podcasting and applied the community and the business lessons to the podcasting world, everything took off. Everything took off. That is, that is awesome. What is the, so Travis, what is the one thing you wish you had known before you started podcasting and what would you give uh, advice to someone who's starting off in your field and like, they're just starting this, uh, they're just starting the podcasting business altogether. You have got to keep track of the people that you're in contact with. I didn't do this right away and it hurt me. Um, some people call it a CRM. I think it's like a customer relationship management tool. Some of those might be uh, an email service like MailChimp, AWeber, uh, a few different ones, or there's a more formalized CRM like Trello or some other things. I realized quite quickly that it got hard to uh, contact people and put them in categories for different reasons, right? So I've I've been in contact with tons of people that are trying to book guests. I've been in contact with tons of people that are hosts of other shows. I've been in contact with tons of people that are actually guests, right? And then a ton of people that are contacting me for different reasons. I, I didn't keep track of those people early. So there's a whole big slew of people in the nonprofit world that I've lost contact with. I can't, I, if I would have had them in a CRM, I could have looked them up by industry. I could have looked them up by city or state. When I go and I travel and I go meet people, I could say, Hey, I'm going to go to Vegas. Who do I know in Vegas? And I could say in the CRM, like who's in Vegas and would have had five results, but I can't remember three of them. So I only have two results. You know, I can't go see these people in person. If they're on my email list or CRM for a certain reason and an opportunity comes up and I can't find them, I can't deliver the opportunity to them. If I want to sell something or if someone reaches out to help me promote and I say, who, am, who do I know that would really do this? If I don't have that tracked, I can't use that to help people. So really not getting my email list slash CRM up and running early and not, uh, not directing people to my website. I've learned it's, it's taken a while to learn some of these things, but the only place you should be sending people is to your podcast listed as a blog post on your website okay. because if you send them to itunes itunes or apple Podcasts, they have tons of, of viewers but if you're sending them there then apple is benefiting from that traffic not you if you're sending them to spotify then spotify is benefiting from the traffic and not you if you're sending them to I don't know. I'm on like 70 channels, right? I can just list them. YouTube, Pandora, blah, 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 blah. If you're sending them there, you don't benefit from the listener or the traffic. 
if the only way for the podcaster to really benefit is if they're going to your website, getting on your email list, checking back up with you for follow-up, learning from you directly because you're the guru. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can listen to you other places, but you don't benefit from them going to other places. You only benefit from them coming to your place. I see. Okay. So Travis, you know, uh, they say that America is the ladder free and the place where dreams are made. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? And if so, why? Uh, I agree, but I don't think America is alone in this. I definitely think there are places, the biggest problem I think people have is that person they see in the mirror every day. When we're developing as people, from birth to age seven, we are creating our, our operating system. We're creating our, our own personal OS. Essentially, every experience that happens to us during that time period is onboarded into our being without a filter. Depending on the person, you get a filter system like, oh, that doesn't seem quite right. Somewhere in the five to nine range average at the seven year range, right? From that, from before that happens, you're just taking things on. So think about this, right? If you're in a, in a, in a house and there's abuse in the house and you get hit or screamed at or whatever else, and that's followed up with, I love you, or I love you, your family, your operating system now says that abuse is standard in love or family, really, yeah, right? Absolutely. I don't understand why I'm in all these abusive relationships. Well, what was your childhood like? The operating system that you were built on as a person until it's changed through some dramatic or traumatic incident in the future roughly operates the same. You and I know from all the, the business trainings and learnings that we've done, just how many times you have to go through those different laws, those different principles to get them to stick because it's fighting whatever operating system we were built with. Love. But if you're in a, yeah, but if you were in a household that says you're beautiful, you're talented, you're powerful, you're intelligent, you, anything that you believe or imagine, you can create into this world. Then when you hear something like, uh, a red flag or abuse happening in a relationship, you're like, that doesn't make sense. It violates your operating system. So if that happens in your world, it's easy to swat away those red flags or terrible people or shady business decisions because it's outside of how you were built. No, yeah, totally. Yeah. So when I talk to people in America that talk to me about problems or obstacles, or they blame the economy or politics or brown people, black people, white people, red people, yellow people for their problems. All that's telling me, regardless of what nation there is, although I do uh, love America for a lot of different reasons, they're basically saying that it's not my fault this happened. And because it's not their fault, then they're then the victim. And there's some entity out there preventing them from achieving, which is not true. Only the person you see in the mirror every day is responsible for most of your problems. I could have said easily, I could have said, oh, I was a foster kid. My life will never be good. And I could have believed that and I could have lived my life and no one would have expected much from me. I could say, oh, I had family members try to kill me. And because of that, because what are you waiting for? Some big apology? Someone to say, yeah, it's my fault. That's not going to fix any of your problems. The economy, Wall Street, you know, they could ring the bell and say, Hey, Cosmos, we're sorry that your stock's going down. It's our fault. That doesn't fix anything. It might make you feel better for 10 seconds. No one's coming to save you. No one is coming to save you. You have to say, I've had enough. This is no longer for me. I am responsible for my life moving forward. I'm going to go get the healing I need. I'm going to surround myself with the right people that are encouraging me and sending me in the right direction, giving me advice, giving me mentorship. And once I've got a certain level, I might have outgrown these people. I'm going to say no longer am I going to stand for nonsense in my life. No amount of shared DNA allows anyone in my family to treat me poorly. I believe in myself. I'm going to enforce my boundaries. Totally. And I am going to move forward and I am responsible for whatever happens in my life. Is there going to be problems? Yes. Is it going to be hard? Yes. It's hard to be poor. It's hard to stay poor. It's hard to be in the middle class. It's hard to stay in the middle class. It's hard to be rich. It's hard to stay rich. Yeah. Choose your hard. It's going to be hard no matter what you pick. Oh, I can't really afford to get an oil change. Well, now that your engine blew up or seized, now you have to figure out how to afford another car. 
you just paid the poor tax by not paying the maintenance fee. Now you have to pay more to get another vehicle that you're not going to pay the maintenance fees on that. And you're going to find yourself getting another vehicle later. How expensive is that? Oh, I just got all this money and I can't wait to buy all the stuff I wanted. I'm going to get this big fancy car that has a $600 car payment every month. I'm going to buy a big fancy TV. I'm going to take my family on vacation. Well, guess what? You might as well not get promoted because all the money you thought was going to help you is now just another liability. It's now just hurting you like it was before. doesn't matter that you got a promotion or a raise or more money because you didn't learn how to spend it properly. You didn't learn how to invest. You didn't learn how to build assets. doesn't matter if I give you more money if you don't know what to do with it. No, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, I think on the national level, if most Americans had this mindset, it would just like change the entire landscape altogether. This is what- Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing, yeah. Like that, it's all about actions, you know? And like, this is the part- Nothing like it. There would be nothing like it. If we went to an abundant mindset that said everything is possible, there's nothing me holding me back and people actually believed it, there'd be no more locks on doors. There would be no more honking in traffic because everyone understands that everyone's just making a consorted effort to get to where they have to go and everyone's making the best choice and they're not making choices to hurt you. There's no more honking in traffic. You get there when you get there. You're like, hey, I've got a little extra commute time today. I'm going to listen to a new audiobook or a great podcast like Extraordinary America. Oh, hey, I'm going to call my friend Cosmos because I haven't talked in a while. You're going to use that time that you now have in the car for something positive instead of saying, oh, I can't believe there's traffic. traffic. You know, every situation that happens, you can look at it from a different point of view, right? I moved all over the place. I've moved 50 times total in my life. It sucked. Moving is one of the top five most traumatic things a person will ever do. And I've done it 50 times, but it gave me skills that I never would have developed any other way. I know now how to walk into any room and feel like I belong. I know how to make conversation with anybody at any level, CEO, admiral, janitor, secretary, whatever variety of person is in that room. Oh, you made $65 million last year? Cool. I've never made a million dollars in my life. Let's chat. And I can find a way to gain common ground and empathy and get them energized and figure out what it is that we can talk about. I've learned how to memorize people's names just after meeting them because I always have a changing environment. So I always have to meet new people because when I changed locations, I didn't just change locations, especially in the eighties and nineties, I lost all of my friends unless I had their phone number and address written down somewhere. That must've been really tough. It's not saved in your phone. You didn't have phones. If you did, it was mounted on the wall. You had a big, long cord. That's as far as you could get away from your family is however long the cord was. You know what I mean? So every time I move, I had to make a whole new slew of friends. It's the same in the military. You walk into a command with 50 to 1,000 people that you don't know. And you got to figure out where you fit in, who you are as a person. How do you refresh? How do you learn everybody's name? How do you rebuild that life? But it gave me a lot of other things, right? I now know how to ask a lot of questions, how to be engaging, how to build those relationships. I wouldn't have had that skill if I had been at the same high school my whole life, my same school all life. I wouldn't have developed that particular skill. Yeah. So how are you looking at the problem that you're facing? Is it the problem coming? Is it the next brick in the wall you're building around to build the monument to your life and your legacy? Or is it the brick that's in your way and preventing you from doing something else? Is it an obstacle or is it a challenge to overcome? Learn how to get better, expand your comfort zone and do something new. Oh, oh the economy is up. Life is great. There's still people losing their companies, losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods, right? Oh, the economy's down. The stock market made a huge crash. There's people making millions and billions while the stock market's going down. It's not what's happening that's the problem. It's how you're viewing it is the problem. Totally agree with that. Oh, man, you were in foster care. That must have been terrible. It was way more stable than the life I was living. The foster care families were great. They, had a, they were organized. They had food on the table every day. They had a set of rules, and they followed those rules. It was fabulous. Foster care was wonderful for me. They believed in me, and I believed in them. Oh, how much time have you spent in court as a child? Tons. 
hours upon hours upon hours listening to people talk about my family and how good or bad or terrible they were, right? I've talked to tons of judges. I knew more about the legal system at 10 than most people learn in their entire life. That must have been terrible. It was an experience, but how I view the experience is up to me. Hey, you got cut off in traffic. Man, I'm sure glad we didn't collide. That guy must be in a hurry. I hope his emergency is handled safely and everyone's good. Someone cuts me off of traffic. Oh, I can't believe it. That guy's a jerk. Is he? I don't know. I know when I happen to cut someone off that I'm hoping for a little bit of grace because I might not know where I'm going or I'm going somewhere really important or there's an emergency. I'm asking for grace. When someone else does it to me, I can't extend them the same grace. No, yeah. Yeah. You want to try those as you want to happen to yourself, you know? Yeah. So, so, Travis, what do you think is the biggest hurdle that Americans face when realizing the American dream? And what can they do to overcome these hurdles? The American dream is not the same for everyone. And realizing that will help so many more people than ever else. Some people say the American dream is owning your own home and having a college degree. Neither one of those are required for success. So why do we assume that the American dream is the only way to do it? Buying a home hurts way more people than it, they think it does. Oh, it's the number one way to build wealth. Maybe. It's potential earnings, but it doesn't put money in your pocket until you sell. So while you're sitting there for 40 years, although it may be build, building value, it doesn't help you really at any time during that 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're cash flowing on that thing, it's not an asset. It's only a potential asset. Figure out what life looks like for you. What do you want your life to look like? And if you say good job, that might be true. But did you even consider what it might be like to build your own business or to do something online that creates the freedom you want? You don't have to be a millionaire to be successful. You only need the right amount of cash flow co coming in to create the dream that you want to live. What does it take to live the life you want to live? Probably far less than you think it is. If you can figure out a way to collect $70,000 a year and you don't have any bills, you can pretty much do whatever the heck you want to at 70 grand a year. As long as it's coming in that don't require active hours. If it requires active hours, 70 grand might not be enough. But if you also have two car payments and a college loan payment, and you've got a credit card bill, 70 grand is not going to get you nothing. It has nothing to do with the dollar amount. It has to do with the behavior. The problem that most Americans are facing is their mindset their operating system that they were built with and what they think is possible. And just because they think it's possible doesn't necessarily mean they think it applies to them. And if it doesn't apply to them, it doesn't matter what it is. You can't do it. If you don't believe in yourself and your ability to do whatever it takes to get something done, then it doesn't matter what's available. It doesn't matter what's possible because you don't believe in you. And if you don't believe in you, neither will anybody else. It's impossible to perform beyond your self-image. So if you have a poor self-image, that's what you're projecting to everyone else. The opportunity is there. The opportunity doesn't want you currently. Doesn't mean it can't want you tomorrow based on you believing in yourself. If you believe everyone else is out to get you or everyone else is responsible for your problems, good luck getting everyone else to go to counseling for your problems. Good luck. It's never going to happen. I think what we're realizing is that it ultimately all comes down to mindset and how you view the world. And if yes. it's on a national level, can view the world in a certain way, it'll be the nation will just be off the charts, you know? Absolutely. Everyone wants change. No one's willing to change. Change really begins with us. You don't like what's on the news? Turn it off. They're only showing you the extremes anyway. They show you the extreme and then they tell you for the next 50 minutes how you should feel about it. Go talk to your neighbor. Talk to people that don't look like you. You and I, we're from different backgrounds. We have different college experiences. We have different life experiences. There's things that you know that are really cool that I don't know yet. There's things that I know that are really cool that you don't know yet. Let's talk and do them together. Military was a fabulous place for this because you'll have the Puerto Rican guy making some kind of Puerto Rican food from the brother from the hood. He's like, man, I never knew food existed like this. How cool is this? Celebrate our differences, figure out what it is 
that drives someone, figure out what their goals and dreams are and figure out how you can help them achieve them. Celebrate together. Oh my God, celebrate together. Just because they win doesn't mean you can't also win. No, yeah, totally. So it's all about the win-win, right? Yeah, the win-win-win. Travis, what are your thoughts on the inflation that's happening in the country right now? And also, uh, what are your thoughts around death? Uh, I don't know anything about inflation. I don't know how it affects people's budgets. I know I currently have enough money to do whatever it is that I want to do. And I know some people don't. I can't give you an opinion on that. I don't know about it. Debt, personal consumer debt, terrible. Don't get any of it. Business debt, get as much as you can. The more debt you have for a business, the more income you're generating to live whatever kind of lifestyle you want to live. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I agree with that because, you know, like a lot of people have consumer debt and then they, they just become enslaved over a period of time. But with business, you can actually become free. Yeah. The, the, the thing is with consumer debt is they've been told they have to spend money on a credit card to build their credit. And that's credit is good. Credit score just shows your relationship with other people's money. You can get a credit card right now, activate it, never put a dime on it, put it in the shredder, never use it, build credit every month. Because your credit report just says if the account is good for the month or not. And if you don't owe any money, you can't possibly be late, which means that month is good, right? Yes, you have to make all your other payments, whatever you've got. But if that's true and you get a credit card and activate it, never put a dime on it, it's going to show you get good credit every month. If your credit score, if you're, excuse me, the amount of credit you owe on a credit card is less than 50%, your credit score goes up every month. If it's 50% or more, your credit score goes down every month. Get a credit card, activate it, put it in the shredder, never use it. Your credit score goes up every month. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Travis, um, in America, over the last few years, there's been like a deterioration in the financial sector, but also when it comes to the family unit and just uh, the government as well. Are, uh, do you think we should be optimistic about America's future? And if so, yes or no? And so, why? The only thing that matters is optimism. The, the stock market does not do anything other than reflect how we feel, right? It's just a reflection of our confidence. If our confidence is in the gutter, stock market's going down, right? Yeah, it's all about perception. Yeah. Right? If we believe in it, right, stock market's going up. People are like, oh, you know, bad, bad press makes the, the stock go down. Does it? What it really means is, is it either helps the confidence in the company or it lowers the confidence in the company. If it lowers the confidence in the company, people sell and the stock goes down. If something happens and it raises the confidence in the company, people are going to buy. It has nothing to do with what they're actually doing. It just has the public's perception and confidence in what they are or are not doing. It's nothing more than a confidence indicator, right? The problem is, is people watch the news and every little story that comes out makes them scared. Do you know why? Because the only reason people will click is because they get a feeling. And if whatever the feeling is, they're addicted to it. If it's fear, they're going to keep clicking because they want to be scared. Travis, people don't want to be scared. They do. That's why they keep clicking every day because it gives them that feeling and they're addicted to the dopamine that's released attached to the emotion. And I think the news media knows that. That's why they, they profit yeah. off it. And it's just deeply psychological. There's a reason every headline's sensational because that's the only way to get people to click. But I hope like the masses could at some point realize that their fear is being used against them in many cases. But no, I totally agree with you. I'm under the impression that if a news that I, I need to know something, that someone in my circle is going to come tell me about it. Hey, Travis, did you hear about this? No, I want to know. Tell me all about it. Oh, this, that, and the other. Wouldn't you know it? That's just the piece of information I needed in my life to make a decision about something else. But at no point is me throwing, scrolling through Facebook or USA Today or any other news source really going to help me unless I am in a trend-based business. Oh, hey, Baltimore is being burned down because of this, that, and the other. Well, I guess I'm just not going to go to Baltimore. <laughs> like, that's it. No. Yeah. Hey, this is happening and they're coming for us. Are they? Are they coming for us? Is there people in my town coming for me? <laughs> How are the race relations in my town? I don't know. 
I talk to my Vietnamese neighbor every day. We don't have any problem. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like it, it's a fear-based thing that's taught. It's brought into someone's operating system in a household where they say, what was it when I was growing up? It was in Northern Minnesota and there was problems with uh, the tribes in the area, a lot of tribes in Minnesota and a lot of jokes and things about people of, of Native American heritage. When I actually met the person, there's this cognitive dissonance because they were nothing like described. And then you hear something about, oh, the Mexicans coming in. Then you meet them and you're like, well, there's nothing like they were described. Oh, what about black people? And you meet black people and you're like, there were nothing like described. It's all fear mongering. Yeah. It turns out that within every group of people, pick a group, podcasters, podcast guests, podcast hosts, black people, white people, pick, pick a, any group of people, pick any label group of people. There is a bell curve of, because of the kind of the standard, these people are amazing and these people are shit, right? People that work at Walmart, right? There's a big curve. There's a, an average and there's people that are amazing and people that are shit. Oh, people that uh, run for political office. There's a big bell curve of people. There's the average and there's people amazing doesn't matter what group you're describing, but you only ever hear news on noteworthy events, weather and sports. Weather and sports are pretty innocuous. Weather's happening today, like it or don't like it. Sports happened, your team won, your team lost, all right? Noteworthy events are things that don't normally happen. They're not reporting that Travis helped an old lady across the street or with her groceries into a car. That's not noteworthy because it happens all the time. People help each other all the time. It's not noteworthy. Oh, hey, there was a shooting in an airport in Florida. I don't know if I should travel. Really? Why not? Well, because there was a shooting. Okay. How many airports are there in America? How many flights go without a hitch every day? Oh, something like 30,000 flights a day. I don't know what the number is, making of a number. So out of 30,000, when's the last time you heard about a shooting at an airport? Oh, 25 years ago. So out of 40 million flights between incidences, you're not going to go fly because there was one recently. What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't. Well, it's just on the negatives, you know? So it was a noteworthy event because it doesn't normally happen. Is it tragic? Yeah. Is it horrible? Absolutely. Should you be scared? No. Oh my God. No. Don't be scared of it. You want to be scared of something that happens all the time? Be scared of car wrecks. Travis, I love your mindset, man. It's so inspirational. I think this is the mindset like all of us has to adopt, you know, in order to like have like a better world. It's yeah, this is exactly what we need, like not just like in our individual lives, but on a national level. Because right now people keep freaking out and they keep fighting each other. But if we just have this mindset, then things just start to change, you know? They do, right? How you perceive the events that happen, right? There's what he think said happened, what she said happened, and what actually happened. Right. It's not so much what happened, but how they feel about what happened that they're really talking about. Right. People ask me all the time, oh, you do podcast production services? Yeah. I'm not for everybody. My prices are high. I'm providing a premium process. Oh, you're kind of high. Well, cool. I understand I'm not in your budget. No big deal. Let me recommend a couple of friends of mine that also have podcast production services. And they're like, that's strange. Why would you recommend a competitor? I'm like, we're not competing. You are either into what I'm offering. Or you're not. And if you're not, that's fine. We can still be friends. But I would much rather suggest that you go to one of my other friends doing this with different pricing, different packages for different reasons, because I would rather they get the business, someone in my circle win, than send them to some random other person. They're not my competitors. You're into what I'm doing or you're not. And that's fine. You're not going to be, not everyone's going to be into the things that I'm doing. I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't have to have agreement-based relationships. If we went through all the different political topics right now, all the different social issues, chances are 100% that we're going to disagree on something. There is, but here's the deal. I'm happy to know how you got to arrive at your conclusion. What happened in your world that didn't happen to me? What experience did you have that brought you to that direction that I didn't have? I want to know. What am I missing? I'm still going to love you for who you are. I'm a white middle-class Christian. There's going to be ways I believe and look at things based on certain stuff. But a lot of Christians miss the boat because it's about love and forgiveness. It's 
nothing about beating people with the Bible. It says in Acts, let nothing I have made be unclean. That means people are going to have different lifestyles and it's going to be whatever, but that doesn't mean I don't love you just because I disagree with how you're doing something. Fun fact, I disagree with a lot of things. Doesn't mean I hate you. Doesn't mean I can't get along with you. Doesn't mean I don't love you. What does us having a different opinion have anything to do with life? What happens is people get an opinion about something and they believe it so wholeheartedly that they take it and they bring it on as their identity. So when you say something against it, you're not disagreeing with them. You're violating who they think they are as a person. That's the problem. Would you agree? No, totally. Yeah. We had Roe v. Wade come out. It got overturned in the Supreme Court. A lot of people have a problem with it. It changed it from being federally okay to be, to be pro-choice and choose what you want to do with the life living inside of you. As it took it from a federal mandated, yes, it's allowed to back to a state level for the states to decide. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a thing. How I feel about it and how you feel about it are different. And that's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. Totally. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Um, so Travis, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your uh, nonprofit architect podcast and like uh, get the audience to have like a glimpse of uh, how you got started and like what made you start this podcast in the first place. So going back to my childhood and having all the people that helped me, I wanted to find a way to give back. When I finally got to a stable part of my life. I wasn't in scarcity mode. I wasn't in survival mode. When I finally calmed down, I was like, how, I feel like I'm pretty stable. I feel like this is home now. I've been here for a while. Is this what home feels like? Okay, if I'm home and I'm here and I'm like, how can I be part of the community? What does the community do? What do people in the community even, I don't, I didn't know because I had been just trying to survive for so many years. I didn't know what it meant to be part of a community. I asked around and they say, hey, people in communities, they show up to public events. They support candidates. They pick up trash and litter. They donate to nonprofits. They donate to buildings that can get built and get your name on a plaque. And they help the community accomplish collective goals. And I got directed to a networking group where I didn't know anybody. I just showed up with a great attitude, willing to help. Showed up with a great attitude, willing to help. Show up with a great attitude, willing to help. And I got brought into some projects they were working on. I ended up donating, ended up volunteering, found myself on a nonprofit board, found myself on another nonprofit board, on a foundation board, and was doing good things in the community. And I got stationed overseas. And I asked myself, how am I supposed to keep providing value to the nonprofit world? And one of the ways you can do that remotely is by starting your own podcast. So I've got the drive. I've got the people I want to help. I've got the niche I want to be in. Found the gap, right? No one was teaching anyone how to do it. Started the show that I felt people needed. And they responded by putting me at the top of the charts, number four within three months of starting. That's terrific. Yeah. So uh, is there any other work that you're doing right now that you would like to give our audience a glimpse into or that you're currently working on? Yes. Thank you so much for asking. We actually wasn't sure exactly how we were going to make an impact as a business with the Nonprofit Architect podcast. I thought initially that I would be doing nonprofit coaching or consulting. And I found out by asking my audience what they wanted, that they didn't want that. They wanted to know how I had done so well podcasting. So I wrote the ultimate podcast guide, made it for sale, put it on my website, made a few thousand dollars. And then people asked me, hey, man, this is great. Where's the course? We created the course. We got it approved and accredited. It's at Forbes School of Business and Technology and Bellhaven University. You can actually click my course. As far as I know, I'm the only professional podcaster that has a college-level course. I guess that means it's really good, right? We're now taking the guide that we've got created and we're creating it and rebranding it under the Podcast Titan because it doesn't have anything to do with nonprofits. It has to do with podcasting. I bought, taken, the, I, I bought that guide. So I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's it right now. That's how you got started, right? You didn't know, found an expert, bought the stuff, implemented the stuff, and now you have a show. No. Yeah. And then you call me when you've got questions, you ask the experts that you know, 
in the question in the industry you have questions in, you ask them the questions. You don't ask random people. You ask the experts. They cut through and they shortcut everything for you, so you can do it better without having to be uh, so painful in the lessons that you learn. But we're taking that guide. We're dividing it up into different segments. We're rebranding under Podcast Titan, and we're selling them as different individuals and as a package. The stuff in this guide, it turns out, was so valuable. I didn't understand that I was doing things so differently than everyone else in the industry because I jumped up so high in the rankings. I jumped up so high in downloads right away. I had someone, I was a guest on their show before I ever started my own show. They had been doing it for a couple of years. And he reached out to me. He's like, Travis, man, what are you doing? How are you getting all these downloads? I was like, what are you talking about, man? You've been doing this for years already. He had already been doing the show for two or three years. When at this point, I had, haven't been doing mine for one year. And he's like, you are crushing me in downloads. I don't know how you're doing it. I was like, well, I put together in this guide. In fact, if you buy it, I'll help walk you through it. We did that. We rebranded last spring. He had 6,000 downloads after three years of podcasting. We rebranded last spring uh 2021 he created vertical momentum podcast he's been podcasting now under that brand for about 16 months he's over 380,000 downloads wow yes that is crazy from 6,000 to 380 in just over a year because he actually read the guide he actually implemented the stuff and then he showed up day after day, week after week, month after month, and did what he said he was going to do. He got a few tips from, I guess I was the guru that he knew, right? He got a few tips from me. He implemented them. And now he's had amazing guests on, guests that have millions of their own downloads, guests that make millions of their own dollars, sharing and showcasing what they do on his show uh, a couple times a week. I think he's doing a three times a week show. That is amazing. That is Wow. Yeah. yeah I'll, I personally would definitely recommend anybody that's watching this to basically uh, download that guide of yours. And yes, uh, please do. Please do. So, Travis, where can our audience get connected to you and get to know more of your work and, uh, and basically uh, find out more? Absolutely. Great question. Thank you for asking. All of my stuff is available right now at nonprofitarchitect.org. There you can listen to my show. You can listen to other shows in our network. You can actually find the guide in the resource section. And if you click onto the show, you can find my social media connect with me. So nonprofitarchitect.org is the place to go for all of that stuff. Or if you Google nonprofit architect podcast, you will find all my social media. You'll find whatever channel I'm on. I'm the first four and a half pages of Google. If you search Nonprofit Architect Podcast, you will find me. And in fact, if you can't find me on a platform, let me know. Send me a message. Say, hey, we didn't find you on this platform. Where are you? And I'll respond and tell you where I'm at. Nonprofitarchitect.org. Okay, thank you. Well, Travis, uh, I really enjoyed having you on this show. And you're really inspirational and motivational and everything of like that. And uh yeah, I would like I would love for you to like come back at at, at a future point to uh, on the show and everything. Hey, I would love to be a guest back on your show again. Thank you for having me on today. We have a lot of exciting things coming. We are launching a co-hosted show with myself and Carol Carpenter. We're launching soon the Titan Evolution podcast, where we bring on titans of whatever in, ever industry they're in. Tell them the down and dirty of how they actually got to be where they were. All the terrible stories and uh, things that they had to overcome. And then they share their advice of how you can become a Titan in your own right. That's coming soon. That is amazing. Well, all right. I would like to conclude this, uh, this episode by saying, well, my fellow extraordinary Americans, uh, remember that there's an extraordinary within each and every one of us. And it's our job to unleash and empower them. I would like to say bye for now until next time. Hey there, everyone. Thank you for watching Extraordinary America. If you like what you see, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Remember that the best investment that you can make in your lifetime is in your own financial education, for it is knowledge that truly sets you free. Also remember that uh, your purchasing power is being diluted through inflation, and then the practical thing to do is to protect the 
the loss of your purchasing power by investing in precious metals or the right cryptocurrencies. Also, never forget that you are an extraordinary American. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.